Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 208 of One Control Report Podcast. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today, talk to you about video games. I actually played a good chunk of games these week. Maybe, maybe didn't invest a lot of time into games, but I have a, a, a decent variety of things to talk about. Um, one thing is I did kind of go back and, and make good on something I promised that I would do a while ago, and that was spend more time with Happy Dan's Collection, which is something I've been wanting to do for a while uh, not only because I, A, like Happy Dance Collection, and B, needed to be Happy Dance Collection, uh, but also C, um, you know, I, since working from home, uh, pretty much since everything happened uh, in 2020, uh, I have not been, like, moving much, and this is why I was originally kind of starting Happy Dance Collection for a while as well, and um, my body does not feel great at times because I have not moved much. <laughs> so so Happy Dance Collection is a way for me to move a little more in my life uh, without going outside where it's hot. <laughs> so yeah, if you don't know what Happy Dance Collection is, because it's been a while since we talked about it, I'm um, just as a quick kind of refresher course of this. Happy Dance Collection is a uh, Wii dancing game, so using the Wii remote to dance. I think it's built maybe on the same engine as like Wii Cheer, Wii Cheer 2. Um, but if you've ever seen like Just Dance, which, you know, being the probably the most popular of those kind of games, um, you know, that's that's you probably have a good idea of what this game is in terms of mechanically and how you play it directly, right? You're, you're waving the Wii remote around to dance, and, and that's pretty much it. Um, I have a little bit of trouble with these games. I, I have a really hard time figuring out what exactly the game is looking for. I don't know if this is a game-specific issue, a Wii-specific issue of just, like, there's, you know, naturally just going to be errors when reading the Wii remote's motion because it's not particularly precise, or if it is a, uh, a issue with individual games. Uh, I will say both dancing games I've played extensively I've had control issues with, but, you know, I, I can't say for sure if that's a me thing or not at this point, I feel like. Um, but anyways, so so what's interesting about this game, though, is that if you have ever seen my Atoka doll video, I mentioned something about fashion rhythm games, which is basically a genre I made up. I will always criticize myself about that. <laughs> but they're called collectible card games, typically, and I just don't think that's very representative of what they are. But fashion rhythm games are essentially games that are, are rhythm games, so you're you know doing the thing where you're, like, timing button inputs, or in this case, motion controls, um, and to get a score. But in addition to that, you need to uh, put an outfit on your character that matches what the game's asking for, essentially. So you get a score based off that. So your total score is based off your clothing setup as well as how you perform on top of that. So you have to do both of those things to be successful. If you have garbage clothes and you're up on stage dancing perfectly, um, the game will still just be like, eh. I think you get like literally like 50% if you 100% it um, um, that way. So I think it's a 50-50 split on that. Um, so yeah, I started that a while ago. The, the, the part that I kind of... I think it's maybe a problem with a lot of these types of games is whenever you start, you kind of start with nothing for the most part. And the game's definitely expecting you to not like, you know, have a bunch of crazy clothes at the start. They're like, I don't know, wear a golden hairpin or something like that, right? In the in the early missions, and that's pretty much all they ask for you. Or later on, they're like, okay, you're gonna wear cowgirl boots and you're gonna wear a cowgirl hat and you're gonna wear a white or a black jacket with a white undershirt and all that stuff. So it gets very specific at some point. Um, but it's not really until I'd say 
after you beat the initial part of the game. So I've got you go through like six chapters and the end of the six chapters, you'll hit credits essentially. But I think there's an additional six chapters after that and it has story and everything still. So I'm not really sure when is technically the end point for the game. But, you know, at least I hit the first layer of credits, which I assume is them saying like, okay, if you want to stop now, you can stop now if you want to. But I feel like that, that like hitting that initial credits point was like the first time I started to feel like I really had a decent enough wardrobe that I felt very comfortable about building outfits because a lot of times it felt like you're being kind of scrappy at times you're like I need I need this particular thing and it's asking for a blue parka but I don't have a blue parka so I'm gonna wear this like general blue thing and the same the game does seem to kind of consider that it's like okay you didn't give me the blue parka but you're wearing a blue shirt or something so you're probably you tried and I'll give you points for that, as far as I can understand, basically. Um, but, so it's always like one of those things where, you, where you're kind of like trying to piece together stuff. And sometimes when you end up piecing stuff together, it doesn't look, look particularly great together. It's the problem I have like with style savvy, where like the game's asking you for these specific things. But yeah, if you want to do the thing that actually looks better, the game has no real way to know that it looks better. They just kind of guesstimate you know, uh, based off particular traits about things. So you could give someone like the ugliest outfit in the world and style savvy. And they're like, Oh, cool. Five out of five. I'll give you a million dollars for this. And you're like, this is the most garbage outfit I've ever made. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So I feel, I feel like I wish in these types of games, I wish there's a little more, um, flexibility in terms of clothing early on, but you know, otherwise I, I can't remember how many hours it took me for me to get to that first ending, but the, getting to six chapters, the end of six chapters, not too terribly hard. You do got to do some clothes grinding. So how you do that is through um, basically going back and performing better on songs, which I think is like a smart way to do it because then you can go back to songs where it's like, I didn't have the blue parka. And it's like, now I do have the blue parka. So I can start with 50% on fashion already. And then just blow out the rest of the song with my hot dancing skills at that point. So, so yeah, but I really like that game. It's just the the inputs that I always just have trouble with. Just some of it I think is very much like me not understanding or, or not paying enough attention to how the character's moving their hands on screen. One of the one of the best examples is like there's this there's a lot of like, you know, just kind of wavy motions that are like left and right, and they all more or less kind of look the same. Um, but in the case of one, I I finally noticed why this particular motion never worked, even though it looked basically the same when he looked at the arrows, is that when she waves her arm back, she was not swinging the side, the Wii remote side to side. She was pulling the Wii remote to like turning it to the right and then pulling it towards herself at that point. And so the game was looking for that motion specifically, but the arrows just don't really communicate that very well. Um, and so I feel like, you know, I, I have not played other, other dancing games other than Gabriella's ghostly groove, which is kind of like a budget release. Um, but I feel like I hope in We Cheer, and I don't remember the timeline of when these games released or whatever, but in We Cheer, which is also by Namco, um, that game, they are a little bit better about communicating how the Wii Remote should be facing when you're doing those motions. Because I think that's kind of critical. Sometimes I, I, I mimic the character's movement exactly on screen and it's still not working and I don't know what the issue is, unfortunately. Um, it is worth noting this game is in Japanese, so maybe the game's screaming at me like, hey, you're doing this wrong. But I don't get the feeling that's the case. Uh, just the help menus all kind of look somewhat similar. And I, I'm going to guess they're pretty generic. Um, I was surprised to find out, actually. So if you don't know about, like, camera translation, using a Google Translate application in a, in a phone to translate games, um, it works really well for, like, Buddy Mission Bond, um, which I talked about last week. I have not played any Buddy Mission Bond this week, but I it's a long weekend, so I think I'm going to sit down and 
ch- put some more time into it. Um, but like Buddy Mission Bonnet works really well. But in the case of Happy Dance Collection, it doesn't. And it's not because of the usual issue where like, oh, there's a lot of like annoying background noise where like the, the, the camera can't tell what a character is versus what is a line in the background. Because the text boxes are all white and the text is all black. So the, the camera tool has a not a problem doing that. I, I think it has something to do with like Buddy Mission Bond is like talking about very specific things happening at, at, during the scene um, where Happy Dance Collection is more of a kid's game kind of thing. And it's more just probably vague language about like, do your best and oh, no, you know, you got to go do the, the, the dance thing at this one place. And it's like really hard to follow what's happening a lot of times, even though I would expect kind of that the translation tool would have an easier time with a kid's game versus um, Buddy Mission Bond, which I'm going to guess the language of Buddy Mission Bond is not particularly complicated. If you just think about like what that game is doing overall, the puzzles are pretty simple. A lot of the questions they ask you are pretty simple. So I'm going to guess the language is not particularly complex in Buddy Mission Bond. But I think the difference probably is, is that in Buddy Mission Bond, they're talking about specific things that are happening, specific evidence where in this it's probably going to be more just casual conversation and just kind of a lot more like throwaway lines that characters have just basically having an excuse to interact with each other before a song kind of thing so so yeah happy dance collection very cool game it was worth like one dollar i paid for in japan for sure i'm gonna keep playing it i'm gonna keep trying to get to the end of chapter 12 but uh it's getting really hard and and the inability to get the Wii remote to play nicely with me um is, is is a bit frustrating so i think if it gets to the point that i'm like really struggling to get through that um, I probably won't bother with it that much anymore after that. And we'll move on to We Cheer or something like that. I do have Yokai Watch Just Dance, actually, but I don't, this may only import Wii U game. And I don't know, um, it doesn't load when I put it in my hacked Wii U. I don't know if I'm doing something wrong or if, um, there's something wrong with that disc. So I'll have to figure that out at some point. You know, maybe if I ever import another Wii U game, then I could start trying to figure that out when I have some confidence that it's not just the disc that has that problem. So, so yeah. Um, we went and started up God Eater 3 this week, finally, so so we were on hold for a couple weeks there, um, and uh, we have actually a four-person group this time, which is which is nice, um, so, so we're playing through that right now. I'm really mixed on God Eater 3. There's, like, if you don't know with God Eater 1 and 2, those games are very kind of copy-pasty between the two. They're all running on basically the same engine, and... and they look like up-res PSP games when, you, when you're when you looking at the PS4 versions, at least. Um, they're interesting in a lot of ways because there's a lot of content that was kind of stapled onto them over the years through re-releases and things like that and enhanced releases. Um, so they're kind of fascinating bits of, like, weird history where, like, God Eater 1 was released, and they remade God Eater 1, and they put out God Eater 2, then they re-remade God Eater 1, then they re-remade God Eater 2. It's like, it's like this weird timeline of how things worked out and how different features developed, and so you have, like, things that are in God Eater 1 that are considered probably better things, but they're not in God Eater 2. It's this weird balance. Um, so God Eater 3, uh, I'm not sure how to best put this. It does have that issue I was talking about earlier with, like, the Blood Arts, or the, a couple podcasts ago, where, like, you do assign, like, special skills to certain attacks in your moveset. And because you do that, it kind of discourages you from using other attacks in your moveset. And when you hit something with a, with a move that isn't, like, assigned to a burst art, um, they're, they're called Blood Arts in God Eater 2, but they're called Burst Arts in this game. Um, they It feels wasteful to use not use your, your Burst Art. The reason being is that when you use your Burst Art, um, it gains levels, so it does more damage over time. 
Um, and that's not like individual mission, ga mission gaming levels. That is like as a character, you're gaining a level. So it's like when it comes to grinding out for more damage, you want to be using those burst arts. Um, they do give you three burst arts in this game versus God Eater 2 where you only had one blood art. So it does expand your moveset a bit. But I kind of wish they just didn't really lock it down to how you used your blood art. I would rather be able to use the move that I feel is more appropriate in different situations than sit there and be like, how do I work this burst start into whatever I'm doing right now to make sure it's getting the levels I want. Um, Story-wise, it's kind of fine right now. We're not very far in, so it's not a lot going on. You're basically just these guys that, um, or, or lady, if you're playing a lady character. Um, although I think most of the crew are guys, now that I think about it. Um, but it's basically like these, these people in a prison, and then uh, a bunch of stuff happens, and they end up out of the prison, and they end up on this, um, this roaming tank city kind of thing, which is kind of a god-eater thing in general, so it's not that weird. <laughs> Um, and so you're working with this one lady and, and she's like, uh, kind of looking to get profit and things like that. So you're working with her to kind of like work out a money situation because she is low on staff or something. That's probably more detail than you need. But, um, I think the, the dialogue is a little flat in some ways, but it's, it's usually not like, I'm not sure where the problem is with the dialogue so far. Again, very early on, um, there's always kind of like a set of characters in that game that kind of copy and paste over even though they're technically different characters and there's a character in this game i think called zeke which is kind of supposed to be the equivalent to like coda in the first game and romeo in the second game which is kind of like the the like bimbo buddy guy who's like you know super confident but kind of like also stupid in a lot of ways <laughs> um and very like very like whiny too so it's not like you know it's not like a big beefy handsome dude that's like a dumbass who is hot-headed or something like that um and and coda and Romeo are pretty good characters for that in those two games this character feels like he's trying to be those characters but it doesn't really I think it's the voice acting and delivery just not really hitting it the right way for me because the, the dialogue and the things that are happening feel very like equivalent to those characters and and appropriate to what those characters would be saying but just like the delivery of the the main the guy who plays the character just feels a little flat um and i feel like that's true for a lot of the dialogue in the game and that might not make like to some people that might not matter and I'm, I'm playing with the english dub i should say so the japanese dub i don't know what's going on over there don't don't I, if there's an english dub i'm gonna use the english dub Unless I'm doing something weird where I'm like, you know, playing two versions over day of the Sky Soldier. Like, yeah, I'll listen to Japanese on this version. Um, but anyways, so, like, I don't know. The, the voice acting feels a little flat. Um, but the God Eater has a very humorous sense of, of A, writing, and B, delivery. Something that God Eater 1 gets done, gets really good. Even your creative characters have a lot of really fun dialogue, mid-mission, and all that stuff. Um, God Eater 2, I think, I think generally God Eater 2 still had that stuff as well. And I think it was pretty solid with God Eater 2. I, I, it was maybe a little bit of a downgrade, but not so much that I was like, oh, something's really missing. In the case of God Eater 3, I feel like there's just something missing with all the character voices, even your creative character voices. I'm just not really getting the same, like, fun dialogue out of it, really. So, I don't know. It could be something to be where, um, they're just not having the creative characters say as much as well. Cause, like, they talked a lot in God Eater 1 and God Eater 2. And God Eater 3, I can't remember the, ever hearing my guy say anything so maybe it's just really quiet and i need to turn the, vo the voice audio up or something but i don't know either ways um it's it's a fine game still i'm 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 having an okay time with it you know i'm gonna enjoy it i'm pretty sure but uh it's not making the greatest first impression on me so far 
Um, I still kind of think I stand by God Eater 1 being the best one from what I can see so far. Um, but we'll see. We'll see where it goes, what happens. Um, kind of not really God Eater, but kind of God Eater adjacent, although it is a different team completely. I, I was... So we're going to talk about Scarlet Nexus. And when I first saw Scarlet Nexus, I was like, oh, that is a shift game, which is the developer of God Eater. It is not a shift game, apparently. It's like a Tales studio or, or some people from Tales series developing it. Although I would not be surprised if there's like trade-off between, well, shift is kind of its own entity outside of Bandai Namco. So maybe there was not any trade-off. Anyways, word vomit aside. Um, so I played the demo for Scarlet Nexus because they put that out. Um, Bandai Namco put it out. Um, and this is a game that I've talked about off and on on the podcast. It caught my eye a little bit, mainly because it has gravity mechanics. So you can like throw stuff in the environment mid combo and things like that. Um, very, very like Crystal Chronicles, Crystal Bearers kind of feeling, but if they added a combat system to that, so it feels a bit more, um, active as you have the ability to, you know, run around and slice enemies with your sword and stuff, as well as be able to throw stuff. And throwing stuff definitely is where the damage comes from for the most part. Although there's some other aspects too, like you have the ability to activate like four different skills um and and those skills have like cooldown time or not really cooldown time but like an energy amount and then uh you can basically activate them deactivate them and you can when they're deactivated they'll recover energy and things like that um something about scarlet nexus reminds me of like an early ps3 game and i can't think of anything off the top of my head maybe like for is forsaken a ps3 game is that what i'm thinking of folklore Reminds me of, like, folklore a little bit, I think, or, like, a lot of, like, just third-person action games where, like, it's it's very flashy, and you're doing a lot with your hands. You're you're attacking a bunch. There's, like, two different types of, of melee attacks. One that increases your psychic ability, or recovers your psychic power so you can throw more stuff. And then one with your like your normal attack, and then you you have a bunch of gravity things you can throw, and there's like special gravity moves too, with like special things in the environment that have additional like QTEs with them. So they're, they're they're like really visually flashy. What's happening on screen? At least in the demo early on, I kind of feel like it's it doesn't ask you to think too much about what you're doing with those moves a lot of the time there is like a mechanic where it's like um sometimes you'll get like a status effect on you and it's like actually you can't don't use one of your specials because like it's like if you're wet and like you have electricity move you don't want to use an electricity move kind of thing they have a little bit of that but i I feel like it's just very very mashy in a lot of ways um and it doesn't feel good to play i think it looks good but it doesn't feel right to me um, which is maybe a little vague of a comment. I don't really like leaving it on. It just doesn't feel right. I think it just comes down to the sense of impact you have when attacking enemies. Um, obviously I'm not looking for anything that's like monster hunter or something like that, but it just feels very, um, I don't know. The enemies just don't really feel like they're reacting much when you hit them. And also when you do the gravity moves, there's cool animations that play out. And maybe it's something to do with like the fact that it's just really like a QTE where when you're like pushing the stick down to like smash somebody with a, uh, a rock or something, something about it's just not connecting, right? Like there's something about that downward motion on screen feels like I'm activating a cutscene versus, um, feeling like I'm actually like pulling that thing down and smacking on the enemy's head. So I don't think there's anything bad about the game per se. Um, I just think that, that there's something missing there that I, that I'm looking for in that combat. Um, one thing I will say is that, so there's two characters in this game. You can play as either the guy or the girl. And I was, I was surprised to see that it wasn't just like, hey, they swap out the guy and the girl in, in the different scenes. Um, they're actually like their own separate characters with their own separate stories. Although in the demo, the dialogue that was happening was 
almost near identical. It was crazy how close the dialogue was between their two different missions. Um, but, you know, early mission that's, you know, just kind of giving you world building stuff. So, you know, they're going to give you the same kind of world building stuff. And then once it gets more into character dynamic stuff, maybe you get a bit more um, substance to that, to that difference between those two characters with that. Um, but they do like do different levels and things like that as well. But they have four different sets of skills, um, depending on which character you choose. So the guy has like a fire move that basically lights up enemies that have oil. I think the general concept behind the fire move is just like that is like an increased damage under certain circumstances. Um, You have like a defensive barrier you can put up that basically makes it so you don't take any damage for a period of time. Um, And you also have a unveil invisible enemies skill, which is just like really weirdly specific and not really useful i think i think it might like also let you do increased dodging no i think that's the other skill but like it's just like weirdly not that interesting of a move it's just like it's just basically it's for certain enemies that go invisible and hide and you go and hit them it's just like it's basically like having the all-seeing eye and and um uh ocarina of time or, or something like that and like yeah you can use that to find stuff but it's not like a core mechanic of the combat. So it's weird to have it mapped as like a combat skill or something. Um, and then finally, there's also the ability for him to do uh, teleportation. I didn't mess with teleportation much in combat, but it's really more for exploration. It seems like where you're able to like kind of teleport through fences and things like that. Um, and then the girl has, I think a better move set or at least one that's more functionally interesting for combat at least. So she has a spark attack, which basically lets her shock enemies it's basically the same as fire. If an enemy's wet, then you shock them harder with that stuff. Um, and then they also have a, um, uh, instead of seeing invisible enemies, they become invisible. So you can like stealth and like, like deflate aggro and things like that and walk around. And that's definitely more of a combat related move. In my opinion, there's, there's enemies very specifically, set up for that but i found that was useful for like just making sure i wasn't getting hit from certain things at sometimes um and then also there's the other move which is like a slow down time move that feels more a you know your character moves at regular speed so you you do get more opportunity to like whack away at an enemy while they're slowed down technically um but it is like made for specific um um foes that are moving around fast but you can you can use it to your advantage if you if you want to with that and then my favorite move of the game is the one that basically duplicates um uh objects you throw so if you throw a bench with this on two benches will throw instead of one um so it's like this kind of neat thing that you you know are switching between being in in like a spark stance and then back to the duplication stance so you like in mid combo so you can uh you know throw two things at once rather than just you know throw one thing kind of thing and so it's kind of a nice balance there i feel like where you're switching between different modes and then i found that i was like also like rolling in the invisible stuff whenever an enemy was like starting to look at me i turn invisible kind of go around them i will say this is mostly i mostly feel like this this works during the boss fight specifically for the minions they're they're generally fragile enough that it's not a big deal although the the guy plays against uh, a handful of like kind of i don't know if mid boss is the right word but like a stronger version of the minions in that in that so those, those encounters are a little bit more challenging for that um but yeah, I, I think there is some promise there on the specifically with the girl character. I, I think the move set for the guy is just a little a little dull. Um, so I don't know. I might I might continue to kind of look at the game from afar, see if there's something that that interests me. But eh, I don't know. Something it's not really jumping out at me that much. And I, I think I'll end up passing it as much as I, as I kind of wanted to check it out. Just it seems more flash than substance in my opinion. So so yeah. Um, 
And then just a little Dirge of Cerberus update. I played some more of Dirge of Cerberus, the original one for the PS2. Nothing really new to say there at this time, other than I thought it was funny that um, in the sewer, there's like a sewer area where you can go in the water. And in the US version and all the versions after that, you can like jump out of the sewer water and get back on the like walkway beside it. <laughs> in the original one, you can't do that. You have to go up the stairs to get out, but it's like so close. It is like your character literally like lunges up over the edge a little bit and then it pushes you back down. It's really funny to see because it looks so awkward and out of place. So anyways, whew, had a lot to say about games this week, but let's go ahead and get into some news here. Um, one thing I wanted to do an update on was with Triace. Um, basically, Triace is looking for a new 3DFX art artist, and they're saying that they are looking for this artist to work on next-gen consoles. So I, I talked a little bit back a while ago. Got, I was a little bit concerned about MediaVision and Triace's companies because they they've been kind of quiet. A lot of their mobile games are shut down at this point. And they, like with Triace specifically, they've been doing a lot of ports of their old old games. Uh, but it is worth mentioning the last time Triace reported numbers, it was like 120 employees or something like that. So definitely fairly hefty. And I think I think um, Oscar in the stream mentioned he knew someone who worked at Triace. So they're not a shell company, that's for sure. <laughs> not that I was really that concerned, but it was just like whenever I see the, the situation that was happening around them with like all their mobile games being canceled and them not having anything released essentially since the last Star Ocean game, Nothing like new really. So Star Ocean 5 was like 2016, I think. I think a, little, a few red flags went up with me, but it sounds like they're trying to do something for next-gen consoles at least. So we'll uh, have to see if that actually shows up at some point. I always say if I was not a Monolith Soft fan, I would be a Triace fan. <laughs> um, they just have some really fun and interesting games that I've enjoyed. I don't like them as much as Monolith Soft games, but I do really enjoy them still. So um, if I, you know... I really want to play more of their games, but it's just, it's, it's unfortunately hasn't been a huge high priority outside of, uh, I want to play lightning returns at some point, which they worked on as well. Um, there was like a rumor going around and, and, and I'm, I'm all over the place on this E3 stuff. I don't know what's happening when anymore with E3. It's, it seems somewhat confusing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it sounds like basically there's a rumor that some point during this E3 season, uh, Square Enix is going to announce a game called Final Fantasy, I think Origin. Is it Origin or Origins? I think it's Origin because Origins is the PlayStation 1 uh, release. But Origin, it sounds like it's going to be basically like a Neo slash Dark Souls kind of game. It's supposed to be worked on Koei Tecmo. And I think the rumor said that it was also going to be that um, team that worked on Dissidia, Final Fantasy, NT. So the uh, the PS4 and PC game, or arcade game initially, right? Um, but what kind of caught my eye about this game is two things. Um, one is it's apparently set in the original Final Fantasy 1 world, which I think is really cool. I've always kind of wanted Square Enix to revisit those worlds from the old Final Fantasy games that clearly just did not really have a lot going on because they're NES RPGs, right? Um, and, and flesh those out a bit more and in a modern way. It's what I really like about Final Fantasy 4 on the DS specifically because... I will say I've never played the original Final Fantasy 4 on Super Nintendo, but when I look at what Final Fantasy 4 is as a game without like the presentational elements around it, I I'm a little like, yeah, this is fine. Very important video game and video game history. But in terms of playing Final Fantasy 4, eh, it's fine. <laughs> and I love what they did with the DS re-release where they basically gave it, you know, 3D graphics, um, a bunch of voice acting, and even though it was on a, you know, kind of underpowered system, at least for what we would consider today underpowered and in comparison to the PSP for sure, um, 
they went out of their way to make like a really cinematic feeling Final Fantasy game in like a way that Final Fantasy is known for in a lot of ways. Um, and I thought that was a really cool way to approach that. So seeing another game hopefully kind of take that approach of like, we're going to flesh out the story of Final Fantasy 1 and it's just going to be in this really, like, really modern way is, is kind of appealing for me. I will say, I do not... <laughs> I have played Dark Souls, the original Dark Souls, not Dark Souls, Demon Souls. Um... And I put about five to ten hours into it, and I did not love it. It was not really my kind of game, I think. Um, so it's not... I'm not very excited about the game itself at this point. Um, but I'll just see what it looks like first, right? Or we'll have to see if it's even real. <laughs> um, um, but it seems like it passed around in a way that it seemed like it was probably alright to, to talk about. But, you know, you never know. You never know what will happen. But... Um, other kind of note about this is that this is also apparently a PlayStation 5 exclusive eventually coming to PC. Um, it's it's really interesting right now to see what's going on with Square Enix in terms of exclusivity stuff. Because, you know, Final Fantasy 15 or 16 is going to, to PS5 exclusive, we know. And then they were like, <laughs> they, they technically said that it was not coming to PC, but like in the trailer it said it coming to PC at a later date, so... I think it's safe to say Final Fantasy 14 or 16 is probably going to come to PC at some point. I'm going to say it's safe to say Final Fantasy 16 is going to come to Xbox at some point. But, you know, at least initially they're releasing it only on um, on uh, PlayStation. Um, but Near Replicant 1.22 whatever, that was released on Xbox on launch day, um, despite Near Automata not being released on Xbox. So it's a, kind of this weird mix of stuff going on right now with Square Enix with that. Um, so it's kind of interesting that this, this supposedly spinoff game kind of thing, I mean, not supposedly, it would be a spinoff game if it is true, um, set in the Final Fantasy 1 universe, uh, I don't know why I reiterated that, um, that that would be a PS5 exclusive specifically. It's, it's interesting. I kind of am curious how much money, like, in the background, you know, Sony's, like, passing off with that, you know. I think one thing to keep in mind with Sony is, I think a lot of people are like, Sony hates Japanese developers, and... I think I think that's not necessarily true. I think obviously they lost the interest in their internal teams, um, at at least outside of the what was that team called As Asobi or something like that the 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 robo robot team or what they're called, or what that series is called. Um, and and I think they care about large third party Japanese exclusives. I think there's obviously cases where Microsoft's bidding in to get you know Yakuza on their platform as the lead platform in the U S. specifically, right? Whether or not that's the lead platform in Japan is a whole other thing. Um, uh, but, but you know, you do see see some of these larger puzzles, publishers in that case. But I, I do think Square Enix does care about, or, or Sony does care about, at least very much Square Enix in this case. Um, and I'd imagine probably if, like, Atlas was putting out Persona, they might try to, like, wrap that up. If they're like, hey, Persona 6 coming to PS5 kind of thing. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to wrap something like that up. But I think, they, I think they're being more selective about what Japanese the games they care about. Because Sony is probably looking for those big blockbuster kind of things. I think it's very clear what Sony's focus is, is that kind of big cinematic single-player adventure game kind of thing. Um, at least with their first-party output. And I, and I get the feeling that, to some extent, the, the, the titles they want to invest in in third-party might be... Um, kind of similar with that. They they do not need Sin or Kagura on their platform, uh, as I'm going to guess what how they feel. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, anyways, I don't know if I'll ever play that. I still need to play Code Vein, which is kind of Dark Souls-y, or at least, you know, that's how people were presenting it at the time. No idea if that's actually true. I do have a copy of Code Vein, though. And I do like Shift as a company, who are the developers of God Eater and also Code Vein. 
Um, there's also a, um, or so, so there was a Dragon Quest event that happened this week. And I don't want to go into a ton of details. I think for these kind of event things, I'm just going to kind of gloss over the fact that they are like these online live stream events. I hate just like kind of going over everything in it. You know, obviously I'm kind of picking and choosing, but, um, but anyways, in that event, they announced, uh, Dragon Quest 10 offline, which is a offline version of Dragon Quest 10. Initially, I was incredibly excited about this because, um, I just heard about it through a friend and in, in my mind, what that meant was they were taking, Dragon Quest 10 and then like altering it to be an offline game um, in terms of like still the game itself is still the same, you know, same, you know, generally overall mechanically, obviously just like changing probably a lot of the balance stuff. I imagine they get like auto party kind of stuff. It's kind of like similar to what Final Fantasy XI is doing in a lot of ways with uh, helping people get through content that they can't really find people to help them with anymore. So in my mind, that's what it was. But when I actually looked at the trailer, um, what they're actually doing is they're kind of making a kind of like a Final Fantasy 15 pocket edition kind of thing. So they're kind of shrinking down what Dragon Quest X is and making kind of a specific experience for it. Um, and with like chibi characters and kind of like isometric view. And I'm going to guess they're probably going to, you know, kind of trim the fat a lot, you know, get rid of a lot of the kind of fetch questy stuff that you need in an MMO typically and, and kind of, you know, focus the narrative of that game to some, to, to some extent. Um, which is very cool still. And I think it's interesting to think about like, would, would Square Enix be willing to do something like that with Final Fantasy XI? Cause you know, the, the mobile Final Fantasy XI projects definitely kind of died out. Um, the, the online ones at least. So would they be interested in doing like a Final Fantasy XV pocket edition or Final Fantasy XI offline? Not offline specifically, but adaptation kind of thing. Like in the case of Dragon Quest X. Um, I personally don't really have as much interest in that i i was particularly interested in in the kind of the dragon quest 10 experience as a whole and like like seeing i would be i would be interested in seeing how the heck you adapt that thing to an offline mode while still keeping like the general content of the game exactly the same where this seems like they're basically making a game based off of dragon quest 10 which i think is kind of less interesting but the better choice to make I think this will result in a better game <laughs> and one that people will actually care about because I'd Im- I would imagine making like a Final Fantasy XI offline or Dragon Quest X offline or Final Fantasy XIV offline and keeping everything outside of the fact that you're online and then maybe like adding in some things to help you get through the game because you're not online with other people. Um, that would be a crazy thing that I don't think anybody would ever do. And that makes me absolutely want them to do it. <laughs> um, um, it's the Phantom Dust 2 moment uh, that I that I was hoping it would be, but it was not so much. That would have been a crazy thing that I would be like, holy crap, Dragon Quest Ten offline. Um, there's also like a Dragon Quest uh, Treasures thing that was announced. Visually, this kind of looks like a Switch game, but I don't know if they've announced any kind of specific platforms yet at this time. Um, but it's like kind of a, a platforming Dragon Quest game where you play as these two characters going around finding treasure chests in these environments. The environments did not particularly look like, I would say, obstacle course kind of levels. They looked more open and like on mountains and things like that. And there's some floating platforms that you can like summon. I don't know the Dragon Quest monsters, but summon a, essentially a, a chicken over your head and fly down or something like that. Or it was a glider. I can't remember. He was holding on to something. He was flying and going to get a chest. Um, but they didn't really give a lot of details otherwise, at least um, as far as I could tell in the presentation itself. Um, so it, it looks neat. I'm interested in checking that out. I love the Dragon Quest series aesthetically, um, but I do not care for the main games. Um, Dragon Quest, so they, if you didn't see, they also announced Dragon Quest 12, which is the next mainline Dragon Quest. Just a logo trailer or whatever. Um, 
I they're saying they're going to make it like more interesting. Well, rather they're going to say they're going to make it darker and they're going to make they're going to change the combat system a bit. Um, The darker thing, I don't really have a lot of confidence in them doing. I'm more interested in them saying that it's going to be darker, not because I want it to be darker, but because I am 100% forward on Dragon Quest changing in any way because (laughs) the fact that it's so static is what like does not vibe with me. Although I know people love that, so I don't want to like sit there and say they're doing it the wrong way. and I'm curious to see what that command system replacement is. Uh, but I, I generally get the feeling that it's probably not going to be anything big. Personally. Um, and then there's also some uh, new Dragon Quest Infinity Strash screenshots, which essentially is like a, a third-person action game based off the Dragon Quest anime that came out recently, which was based off the old anime from, was it the 80s or something? Um, this game still looks really cool. Uh, I want to check it out if I if I get the chance to eventually. Um there's actually like three different Dragon Quest Strash games, but or three games associated with that anime IP, an arcade one, a phone one, and then this uh this home console game. Uh, I don't think they've said specific consoles for it yet, um, but I believe they've said like a 2021 release date for it. So I'm interested in seeing more. I'm especially interested if there's multiplayer in it. I wouldn't mind like playing through that with somebody. It looks like a kind of a fun, just like hack and slash kind of thing. Um, and then there's also an announcement from Five O. Well, it's not really an announcement. But they did announce it, I guess. Uh, 505 Games said uh, that Bloodstained Ritual of the Night sold pretty well. I think it sold like a million copies and that it was successful for them. So they're going to be making a Bloodstained Ritual of the Night 2, which, you know, if you haven't seen, is the the Castlevania um, kind of uh, uh, spiritual successor that came out a couple of years back. I played Ritual of the Night. I, I did not love Ritual of the Night. There were some cool things about it, specifically like... I really like the kick aspect, that the fact that you could play that game using kicks, which is like not really something Castlevania usually let you do in the past. If you don't know, you can basically like do a jump kick in all the Castlevania games, but it's usually more of a, I'd say more of a movement thing. It would do damage if you hit enemies, but you really couldn't fight enemies with it. I'm sure somebody out there has like an all kick run of Sithing the Night or something dumb. Um, but, but anyways, um, but in this case, they made it like actually useful movement. There's like a lot of really cool things with like the equipment in that game and, and kind of letting you... Uh, mess with that game in a way uh, that that was really in some ways broken um, but I, that was actually something that I found entertaining about that game in, in some ways I think the gun aspect was also kind of successful but that was not the route I took in that game um, but I really am hoping that they do kind of get out of the Castlevania shell a little bit I know that's not what people want with Bloodstained because they kickstarted at least the first one you know as a Castlevania replacement but I'm somebody who always wants new things in games um and i want them to push themselves and after specifically castlevania i wrote an article about this a long time ago like metroidvania castlevania got really dull at some point not because they weren't trying to do new things but because the shell they were working with was just so set in stone uh that i think it made it really hard for them to try new ideas which is why i think master spirits the shaman king license game is weirdly enough probably one of my favorite metroidvania games despite you know, not being an amazing one of those games, just it tries to do some different things that are interesting. Um, probably because it just didn't wasn't limited by the fact that you were in Dracula's castle, basically. Um, so I I'm really hoping to see that they they with this game they they try to expand a bit more. Um, but the original Bloodstain was definitely built around Ritual and or uh, Area of Sorrow specifically, Castlevania Area of Sorrow. And uh, they do expand out from that. Don't get me wrong. It's not like me saying like, oh, they didn't change anything. Um, but they, I want to see them branch out further than that. I want them to play around with the the system where you have the ability to like hold your arm out around you. I want to see more moves that are in relation to using that second analog stick in interesting ways. Um, you know, I, I just, 
I want them to do something to make that game feel like good, interesting, unique, and that it, that it that it matters in in some ways. I feel like that's a lot of games for me when I talk about games. Like, does this game matter? Um, and and I don't really know if that game does matter in the Castlevania timeline. If you're gonna make like five games like that, I really want one to stand out. Um, again, they all have their own little quirks and stuff like that. They're all good games. I'm just being a whiny, whiny Castlevania boy. Don't listen to me. <laughs> Curse of the Moon one, though. Ooh, Curse of the Moon one. Blood is, Blessing Curse of the Moon one. That, that is a great game. I love that game so much. That is maybe... It, it always climbs up my list, I think. It, it may eventually like become my favorite Castlevania game, even though it's not Castlevania. Although I do love Castlevania 64 so much, but it is up there. Curse of the Moon... I'm having a moment here. Curse of the Moon, in my opinion, might be better than any game, any Castlevania game I can think of. I think there's an argument for that. Obviously, Area of Sorrow and those Metroidvania Castlevania games are different things, right? Um, And I think that, I think some people will never be able to get over that kind of like more dated design of of curse of the moon to some degree although there's crazy stuff in curse of the moon don't get me wrong there's some great stuff going on there like like the amazing thing about curse of the moon is like not only do they make like a very like hey faithful retro style castlevania game they also make it a sequel to castlevania 3 in a way that feels like it's building on top of that game and they also make it its own unique thing too where it's like a weird castlevania ninja gaiden remix and like all three of those things are different modes in the game and all the levels work for all three of those things. It's crazy how good that game works. The only, the only thing I'll say like kind of against it is that unless somebody knows they need to look for those things, they might play that game once and not see that other stuff. Um, that, that is maybe the one thing, one complaint I'd have because man, that is great. Anyways, I'm going to stop gushing about curse of the moon too. Uh, there's also like a Sonic event that came that happened. Um, I didn't really have anything that jumped out at me about the new Sonic event. They, they didn't officially announce the co- Sonic colors thing, um, which is cool. Sonic colors is a great game. Uh, I don't think I personally have an interest in buying another copy of Sonic colors. I got it on Wii recently and I'm like, I'm good. If I buy an, if I buy a Sonic colors game, it's going to be Sonic colors for the DS. Um, I, I would be excited to see if they put Sonic colors DS in there in some way or form or like took those levels or something like that. Um, but I'm going to guess that did not happen. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work for a budget release for, I think $40 for like the limited edition. I saw people comparing it to the, uh, Skyward Sword, um, thing that Nintendo's doing where Nintendo's like barely updating Skyward Sword and then being like $60 and then, you know, th- th- Sonic, they're like, here's some stuff with it too. But yeah, I thought that was kind of, you know, I don't think it's really worth, I, I thought it was just a little silly to see, but at the same time, like I, I always say, if you don't like that Skyward Sword at 60 bucks, don't buy it at 60 bucks. Uh, but people will buy it at $60. So I'm not going to like say Nintendo's, you know, doing a bad job, like worst case scenario, right? Worst case scenario, they re-release Skyward Sword. If you have a, a full commitment of, like, we are not going to buy this game because of $60 from their audience. They drop the price. And if they're probably not losing money because they're they're basically doing an HD port of a game they made, like, 10 years ago. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's like, there's very little risk for them in doing this, I feel like. Obviously, there's some bad blood with, like, the core Nintendo fans. But, oh, those core Nintendo fans are probably going to buy a Skyward Sword. Anyways, that's it for this week. Thanks for coming. OneCultureWar.com is the website. Um, in terms of what I'm working on, I'm going to try to... It's Memorial Day weekend, so I'm going to try to do a, a casual review. 
Um, I think that should go up this week if I do that. I, I will. I will definitely let you guys know on on the Discord and Twitter and things like that. Um, if I do decide to do something, I was kind of hoping to do like figure that out before um, the podcast this week, but just timing wise, it made more sense for me to do the podcast first um, um, this weekend. I am working on the PCFX kind of English guide video. The introductory video I'm doing right now has uh, <laughs> gone through some phases. Uh, it was kind of a different thing initially, and I kind of have grinded it up four or five times over. I spent most of today doing that, actually. Um, so I need to work on that more. But, uh, you know, it's not something that's super urgent at this second. Um, so I'm not pushing myself to get it done done, but... Uh, I did make a whole big mess. It is eight pages of notes mess kind of thing. It's kind of crazy. I, I, I don't think I've ever had a project go that way before where I'm just constantly kind of reworking how I want to present it. I, I think the reason why is because there was something I wanted to talk about that I was not accommodating for initially. And it took me a while to realize I was not accommodating for it or I didn't give it enough space to breathe specifically. So, yeah. Also, fun fun note real quick with Unix Fighters or for the PCFX. Um... So I actually, kind of side note, I, I picked up this uh, first kid story book. It might not show up well because the green screen looks fine. Um, and and one thing I noticed in here was, uh, so this this first kid story book has a sleeve on it, right? Because books do that. Um, but one thing I noticed on on it is if you look behind the sleeve, there is a blurb about uh, Hunix Fighters 98 on there. It's kind of an interesting little thing that was just like an apology for not including Hunix Fighters 98 on there. So if you don't know... Uh, this is a long podcast, sorry. Uh, if you don't know, Hunex Fighters 98 is a mini-game in a game called First Kiss Story for the PCFX, which is a romance adventure game or visual novel, if you want to be a Westerner like me. Um, and and in there, there's a fighting game that they included. I, I made a video about this a while ago, so you shouldn't, if you haven't watched that, you should check it out. Um, but it's but even though they ported this First Kiss Story game into onto the PlayStation, the Dreamcast, and even the PlayStation 2 eventually... They didn't bring over Hunex Fighters 98 in that version. Um, I think it's mentioned in, in the text, but I don't think they actually put it in there. So in in this dialogue back here, it's the, I think it's a, let me see. It's the chief producer basically apologizing for not being in uh, the PlayStation version of Hunex Fighters 98. Um, one, because they're like, oh, or in the PlayStation version of First Kiss Story. Um, one, because... They were saying they wanted to build out First Kiss Story, and you know now First Kiss Story is two discs worth of content, and they they want to focus on that. <laughs> the second thing was that the um, apparently the dude who was the director of First Kiss Story and the the main programmer of Phoenix Fighters ninety eight um, <laughs> did not want to port it over to the PlayStation because he was such a pcfx fan that he didn't want to take that away from the pcfx basically um which is kind of crazy <laughs> like i don't know it's kind of a weird thing and so the reason i found out about this like one the dialogue on the on that book says like and I, you know i don't know japanese so i'm just like google translating it basically says that there's some disagreement among the staff and that there was like a feeling that you know, from the Google translation again, it was like there's a feeling that maybe these characters wouldn't be known on the PlayStation or something like that because they're all characters from the PCFX and uh, the PC engine before it. Um, that was the general takeaway I had from the blurb on the back of the book. But I actually follow a guy who worked on Unix Fighters 98 and he follows me back and he saw I posted about it and he sent me an e a message in English um, that was that told me about that guy just being like he's not allowing 
Hunex Fighters 98 to go to the PlayStation. And they actually had it up and running on the PlayStation version, but they took it out. Um, one thing I've never done is I've never tried to pull data from the place, the first kid story disc on PlayStation one. Um, so I'm really curious to see if any remnants of that is still on there. Like if there's any kind of like, you know, sprite work for the first kiss or for the, uh, Hunex fighters 98 stuff on that PlayStation version. I, at one point was able to pull data from PlayStation games. I have not been able to do that well recently. Um, I think I forgot kind of how it worked. Um, obviously there's different things sitting on the game and different coding formats and things like that. So it could be, you know, in the case like, uh, tiny bullets, like I couldn't get any graphics to show up properly really in that. So, but anyways, so maybe I should take some time, more time to look at that, but it was like a really interesting bit of information. Um, I would like to somehow put that somewhere. I just don't know where, um, I don't, I would love to make a first kiss story wiki, but I do not have the time to do that. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I've, I've got a bunch of first kiss story garbage around my house now. So maybe someday I'll make a compilation of stuff and be like, here's this, here, what it is. Here's what it is. Is this relevant for any reason? Yes. No. Um, and then I can feel good about myself cause I'm the only first kiss story fan left in the world. Probably. Um, so, so yeah, anyways, that's all of that stuff. Um, We'll be playing more Dirge of Cerberus this week on uh, Thursday at 7 p.m. Pacific time. We might beat Dirge of Cerberus this week. I'm not 100% sure because both of the last couple streams went over. Um, and I get the feeling that we might go over again next week, depending on how close we get. Um, and I still want to do the review, too. So maybe, depending on where we get, maybe I'll cut the stream in half and we'll switch over to something else and then do the other half of Dirge of Cerberus the week after that um, and just kind of split it up that way uh, instead. Um I recently got this weird PlayStation game. I wouldn't mind. Uh, well, first I should probably make sure it's like actually interesting and worth doing, but it's called like magic beast warriors. And it's like a dude in a monkey suit on the cover. And I don't know. It's like a bunch of, I think F and V people of people in like the, uh, I forget what that story's called. It's the one that like dragon balls based off of, uh, I can't remember the name, but that thing. I'm going to shut up now. One control board on the website. Um, the near video is up. If you want to go check that out still, um, I will say if you like the near video, I would really appreciate it. If you shared it is it's maybe done a lot worse than I expect it would do in terms of views. And I'm trying to figure out how the best way is to do address that kind of stuff for future videos. I don't know where the problem really is. Maybe it's the thumbnail. Maybe it's the title. Maybe it's just the fact that I missed the window. Maybe it's a topic nobody cares about. Um, but if you liked it and you know somebody who, who likes near that would also like it, I would appreciate it, but don't force yourself. I'll always say, do not share it just because you're like, Ben needs me to share this. Um, I, I, I would only want you to share it with somebody you think would be relevant to, um, and that they would enjoy it. And again, only if it's good too. Like if you're like, that was a garbage video, do not share garbage crap I put out. All right. All right. I hope you have a great week. Bye.